Hey, Unpackers, it is quite a time that we are getting ready to have on Unpacking Atlanta. I have to make sure I say the name of the show. Y'all know what y'all tapped on. Y'all know what time it is, but it is time for Unpacking Atlanta. It is time to unpack Atlanta with your girl, the hostess with the mostest is what I allege. Cola be talking. I be hosting things besides this podcast. I be hosting the Black in the Garden podcast, trying to make sure that you Negroes understand that there is a connection that we have to the soil and to the land and to the plants and so on and so forth. But there's links for that. Check the episode notes, okay? Uh, We are joined by Sunita, who is co-host with the most. I like how that sounds. What's up, Sunita? (laughs) How do you feel? I'm feeling good today. Um, I also uh, have another podcast outside of Unpacking Atlanta, um, Mm -hmm. outside Voice Inside, OVI podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google, also Anchor. And um, I also write here and there. I'm not as consistent Mm -hmm. as I should be, but it's still good shit. And, you know, much like Cola, I'm a manager of a tiny human. Mine's yes. a tiny human giant, but still a child, nevertheless. A child. That's right. And you be doing a good job. Mother's Day is coming up. So I'm going to go yes. ahead and give your mom flowers early. Absolutely. And indeed, OVI podcast is one to not miss. I've been listening myself because I enjoy smart people talking smartly about things unabashedly and just saying it how it needs to be said. So my recommendation, if that matters to you, if you listen to this, why would you not want to, you know, if you got time. Um, But we're also joined by uh, Alexander Hardy, who has joined us before on the first episode of Unpacking Atlanta. Welcome back, Alex. Yo, yo, yo. Thanks for having me. Indeed. I hear you've been keynote. Speaking at things. You know, we try and get it popping out here, doing some chit-chatting out in these streets. Let the people um, know what you specialize in. Get some joy. Sure, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm co-founder of Get Some Joy, um, and we are a creative wellness agency, and we support communities and organizations and other people with people who need support with um, joy flavor programming, mental health stuff, resources, and I did a keynote speech at the Mental Health First Aid Summit in somewhere in Maryland. And uh, it was at the start of their NatCon 22 conference. It was dope. Got to talk about joy-infused community building, my life and journey as a mental health first aid instructor and how to make your programming and you know facilitating not dry, boring and painful. Mm, emphasis on that, definitely an emphasis on that. And um, Alex, tell us a little bit about your um, background as it relates to this episode. What's it called? Trinity to the bone? Well, yes, not Trinidadian, but um, half Panamanian. My grandmother is legendary cook and party thrower. And I grew up basically in her house with parties and lots and lots of people with gold teeth from the Caribbean. Yeah, people from Trinidad, people from, you know, Jamaica, other islands, Costa Rica, lots of Panamanians, lots of soca music, dancing, you know, people with different color hair and 
yeah, it, it felt really familiar. So I'm excited to get into it. Very exciting times. Because like speaking of exciting, I'm not even on front. I guess I was tired or something. I've I had to watch this episode twice, which is what I do anyway, but I had to watch this one twice because I kind of fell asleep the first time. I didn't understand what was going on. I was just like, oh man, I wanted to see the original cast. That's fine. We're doing this again. And it was just a very kind of slow pace. There was a lot of nuance, but it all added up. And so upon watching it by the time I finished the second time, I was like, okay, I, I get it. And so, yeah, let's unpack that thing. And okay, I'm making sure I'm recording because I... What's it all for if we didn't record it? (laughs) But we come in right at the beginning um, with the dad. I don't remember his name. We're not going to call him Chad. We're going to be nice. Um, (laughs) Running through not Atlanta. So right there, that's where I was feeling a disconnect. I was like, why can't we at least be in Atlanta? But I get it though, because of the culture. But the The culture is very much alive and thriving in Atlanta as well, as far as like Trinidadian people. So it's not as much here though. Mm. It's way more in New York. Definitely a lot more of like, well, Alex, you can speak to that because Alex is joining us from New York, from Brooklyn, right? Yes. Here in Bed-Stuy. Big, big Caribbean culture here. Lots of Panamanian. Yeah. Everybody from, from all over the place, but you can definitely see Trinidadian flags and hear the people out in the streets too. So they're here. It's a good time. So they were in New York. This episode was set in New York and he's running. We see, I feel like it was intentional the way that they kind of zoomed in on that building. Was that a gentrification note? Like a tall, shiny building that they kind of zoomed in on that. And I assume that's the building that he was going to. Oh, I didn't catch that, but I could definitely, you see that a lot of building that stands out and doesn't look like anything else around it. So if that's what that was, then that feels accurate too. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, interestingly enough, still parallels between that kind of theme and Atlanta, because we understand that gentrification knows no bounds. It truly knows no limits, but they get into uh Oh boy gets into the apartment and he's trying to figure out what's going on because the kid is home from school. And my first question is, is Bronwyn the mom, the, his wife, and bashes the kid? Yeah, bashes the kid. Okay, because at first I thought Bronwyn was the kid's name and I was like, how y'all get bash out of Bronwyn? No, the dad's name is Miles. Miles. Okay, we're all caught up now. So... Um, Bash is in there watching a proud family, (laughs) (laughs) which delighted me. (laughs) Highlight for me. I was done after that. I was like, I cut this off now. We, that was setting us up, wasn't it? I feel like his parents acting like it was somebody else's responsibility other than their own to make sure their kid was at school. I feel like that was the setup because I didn't. I didn't pay attention to what Bash was watching. I was paying attention to his parents acting like they didn't have time to see their kid off to school. So I was like, obviously somebody else takes care of him. Yeah. Because they did not anticipate having to make sure he got to school. She didn't know where the keys was. She was too worried about missing yoga and that's the other thing. And, and that I can see that that was intentional. 
the fact that you go to yoga versus taking your kid to school is it that deep some people have that kind of privilege that is and that is exactly what i took <laughs> note of is the privilege of having a very much full service kind of nanny who takes care of your child in such a way where you are very hands-off because as we saw later in the episode spoilers sorry guys not sorry actually not only does she take him to school and walk him to class and all that but she also puts him to bed and makes sure that he gets to sleep so she is there from sun up to sundown and then some Yes. Yeah, and they definitely made that clear in how unfamiliar they were with his daily life and like what he actually goes through in the course of the day and, you know, what he eats, what he likes, you know, it was just all very new to them. It, it's bland. <laughs> right. He was like, I need some seasoning in my life. That was another point of delight. Like really the baby was the star of the show, baby bash, as we can call him. Because he was not feeling that. They're talking about, we got him some, I got him some eggs Benedict. And he's just like not feeling it. The seasoning and the, what was it? The spicy curry mango. I love how specific he was about that. <laughs> and then when Miles tasted it, he was just, he could not take the heat. Why would kids eat eggs Benedict? Doesn't that have raw egg in it? I mean, some kids do, because Logan did. But I, that's not something I would expect children to even want. It's, it has a runny egg. That's weird that you would not just get them like an egg McMuffin or something like that. You know, whatever. Thinking of eggs. We, we get it. They don't know what they're doing. They're certainly not expecting to even be in that position. And of course, the last thing that they expected to find out was that Sylvia died. Right. She, she unfortunately the nanny who we're discussing she died so that was a whole a whole scene right there and we're getting to the death part because that is a little bit further into the episode um first thing that happens similar to the other episode with the reparations the big payback the knocking like remember and and the big payback somebody was calling it was an unknown caller and in this one it was an envelope there's a rapping on the door and mm -hmm. then he goes and he sees the envelope. And I didn't necessarily understand that they were in New York until I noticed that it said that address indicating New York on that envelope. But what did y'all think was in the envelope? I don't know. Because I had seen the previous episode, I, I figured it was something that they either were like avoiding or something that was impactful to, you know, their daily lives that they just were not trying to face. That's, that's, that's what came to mind. Um, thinking of like, mm -hmm. You know, in the last episode, it was, you know, his family history and all those, the whole shit that his relatives had done um, that he just was not, you know, not trying to face. But yeah, I, I knew it was something that would like rock their world, but I, I didn't have a, a particular idea in mind. I mean, it was addressed to Sylvia. So it was weird. Like, if you guys were going to give her family all the things that she had left at the house, at the apartment, why wouldn't you give them that mail? Why was you still returning it to sender? Like it came to your house with her name on it. Yeah. That was weird. I thought it was going to go down that path of like, hmm, you know, I, I didn't, well, you don't know what you're going to get with this, this fucking season, but <laughs> the idea that um, it's like, hmm, okay, she's getting mail there. You know, I thought it was going to be something along those lines of like finding some secret about her or some shit like that. Mm, it was, 
you know, like you said, it's really, you never know what you're going to get. So um, we'll get to what was in the envelope when we get to the part of, of the end, right? Um, but like we said, they didn't really know what to do with the kid. Um, the mom, Bronwyn, I guess, takes them to school and is very much like surprised that <laughs> she got to walk them to class. So that's when I really begin to kind of ponder this whole concept of this New York City nanny culture, specifically in the way that it is a very common thing for the white privileged upper class to hire nannies from similar backgrounds. You know, like you said, Alex, being Panamanian, being in New York, knowing all of these different Caribbean people with those origins though they generally come to America and take on jobs like that. And that's an interesting dynamic. I mean, it's very common here to, you know, to see Caribbean, Asian, other women mm-hmm. with these white babies in their strollers or, you know, in these other places. Again, it felt like something that I see all the time here. And yeah, not surprising, you know, for them to really be stand-ins for the parents in many ways. And pick up a lot of the parenting duties, you know, the social engagements. I'm sure there's a lot of nurturing that they do that the parents ain't fucking doing, don't have time to do, aren't able to do, not interested in doing um, for whatever the reason. But yeah, that all felt very familiar part of nanny culture here for sure. I've lived in in New York for a hot minute. And I remember the first time pulling up to the park and looking around and not seeing any black children at the park and seeing all these white kids, but not seeing any white women at the park. So I was like, what's going on? Very fancy strollers, very much like, I kind of clocked it at that time and maybe didn't give too much thought to it. But actually we all have a mutual friend who was a nanny in New York. And she told me some stories being of Jamaican descent herself. So um, (laughs) she definitely could have unpacked this way better, but we're going to do the best that we can. But that culture, it's interesting, but it does kind of harken back to the time when our ancestors were enslaved. Yeah, that's what I was, I was looking at was like, I guess it's kind of set up like it's okay because they get paid, but mm-hmm. black, the black people, the black nannies actually get paid less than the other nannies but there's so many of them out there. So it kind of reminds you, right, of the when uh, we were enslaved, we were actually forced to take care of their children and raise their children. And now it's kind of like, oh, well, it's a choice because they choose to do it, but it's kind of like being in an environment, like when some black men become drug dealers. Is it really a choice or is this what's available to them with their options? Because some of these people are immigrants, you know, so they might be getting paid under the table. So then they don't have to report taxes. It's just, it's this whole big thing. So Uh, systemic even. Yeah, they become part of these white people's family, but they have their own families too, which is. And it's also just not accidental that like, uh, that these people don't have white nannies. That's not on accident. I mean, exactly. you you don't have, I mean, and if they do, I, I have known some and seen some, they sometimes are like Eastern European or some shit, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or some other place from somewhere where they, 
you know, immigration status, whatever. But like, yeah, that that may be something that is available to them or they're younger or they're, you know, uh, just out of college or between jobs or whatever it is that pick these jobs up. But I think just the there that is definitely intentional that the overwhelming and we'll get to, I'm sure, you know, some of the the benefit that these families get by having someone that maybe doesn't have a lot of other options. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. exploiting that. They're, yeah. they're specifically mm-hmm. exploiting that. And, you know, it's it's a way to kind of cut back on the bills, but we're going to get to that when we get to the scene where they were discussing the Mandarin, but that was like right after they had the conversation to tell Bash, because it was interesting in how the mom, I could tell she would have been cool with not telling him, Mm -hmm. which is that cruel? How do you receive that? I think it's cruel, mainly because death is a part of life. So it's one of those types of things. I see a lot of parents act like they don't know how to explain things that are simply a part of life to kids. So like they call it the birds and the bees, but it's really the sex talk, right? Oh, I don't know how to explain this to my kid. What do you mean? Even it's weird because there was a conversation that happened. One of my really good friends was in a really bad car accident a day or two ago and so I was talking to her mother on the phone but she's close to Logan too so Logan is part of the conversation yeah and one of my other friends was like you're having this conversation in front of Logan and it's like why wouldn't and I think we generally as adults we do this to children like they won't understand things even though Mm -hmm. it's gonna affect them So that's why I think it's kind of cruel because this little, that's little, that woman, Sylvia was like his grandmother. So if his grandmother died, wouldn't you tell him? Or would you just Mm -hmm. let him think that she just disappeared from out of nowhere? But this is someone who took care of him. He saw her every day. He didn't go to sleep without saying goodnight to Sylvia and they having a hard time explaining this. That's weird. Mm, but they would allege that she is a part of the family. I feel like that might have been explicitly said by them, but you make some really good points with, you know, trying to dumb down kids. And really, if we're watching Disney movies, then we understand <laughs> parents be dying. Okay. Yes. Kids, if nothing else, let us know it is a cold, cold world. Okay. And <laughs> I'm, do you think that it's intentional in, in that regard, perhaps, that Disney was kind of like setting us up for getting a better understanding of how to deal with that? Because, you know, it helped to make those teachable moments a little bit softer by being able to reference that. And that going back to the conversation where they were clearly struggling, when Disney set it up for you so smooth, you could have just been like, remember that time we watched The Lion King and Mufasa? you know like yeah i think disney i mean in cartoons in general i think the presumption is that kids are not fucking stupid i mean they they've seen bambi die they see animals die you know about sadness you know about when somebody's mom like just related to that but i just in general them and parents i mean from what i've seen the assumption that kids can't handle those dynamics i mean you know when they responded when he asked is that going to happen to you oh no Duh, bitch. I mean, why why lie? Like, you're both going to die. You're yes. both going to die. You know, everyone's going to die. If they have a, if yeah. they had an animal that died or whatever it is, I mean, you can find ways. And I, I just think you're also doing kids a disservice to not 
talk about things as they are and you know oh when you you know all these old cartoon names for genitals and body parts I mean you're doing kids a disservice and you're also you're robbing them of, of a chance to describe and see and interact with and engage with the world as it is he's not going to be a five-year-old forever and I mean you hear about people who grow up years later, you know, handicapped and don't know about how to talk about sex and all these things they internalize because of the shame that they that they dealt with or the the avoidance altogether. People who grew up and never got to talk and you know they're not teaching about sex and other shit in school. So you're you are really doing kids a disservice by like not allowing them to like face life. And it probably has more to do with your discomfort as a parent. Seriously, but you'll but you'll <laughs> them same parents be the main ones talking about Santa and the Easter Bunny and all that other foolish shit. Mm -hmm. And that's ridiculous. As for me in my house, Snoop Doggy Dog is your uncle. All right. <laughs> all you need to know. Everything else, I don't want to talk about that. If I'm going to lie to my children about something, it's going to be that. But when they should meet him, if that day should come, he's going to call them nephew and niece. So he's going to feed into that. But y'all don't mind me. <laughs> <Am I? laughs> Tell your kids the truth if, if you're not sure what to do. Lead with the truth and, and let them kind of process it and then let them come back to you with their follow-up questions and then you can let them lead the conversation. That's very Montessori, right? I was just going to say for y'all, like as, as mammies out here, how have y'all talked to your children about these things, lost death and the family? I mean, we, they obviously are an example of what not to do. So, you know. That, that's a very real question. I know Sunita, like that situation just happened with your friend and we're sorry to hear that of course but between me and Sunita both of us lost a parent in the last year mm -hmm. so we have children so we have to tell them so I would just say that you know I was sad and I I just told my kids I was like hey um your grandmother she she died you know and I really just like I said I left it to them to ask whatever questions they need to ask, but I was dealing more because they're young. And so as much as they know her, they didn't have a super deep relationship with her, but they definitely had a good enough knowledge of her for it to affect them. They definitely needed to know, but I was dealing with what I was dealing with. So I really was telling them so that they would know, hey, and I said this to them, I said, I am sad about this and I need y'all to give me some space to deal with this because this is my mom and I'm dealing with her loss. So that was how I dealt. Yeah, Logan, she has like had a weird relationship with both sets of her grandparents. Mm -hmm. So my dad wasn't really in her life at mm -hmm. all. I mean, he, I could count on one hand how many times he saw her. Mm. So when I told her, and also I don't censor a lot of art when it comes to Logan. So she's seen death a lot in the entertainment that she consumes, whether that's books that she's reading, TV shows, movies, all of that. So she has seen people die, whether it's violent deaths or it's from natural causes or from illness. But much like Cola, I told her, even though you didn't really know my dad, I'm letting you know because I don't think that I'm going to be emotionally available to you for a minute. 
And it isn't that you have done anything, I'm trying to process this. So if I seem zoned out or I'm not giving you what you need, just let me know and we can talk about it. But that's all I can give you right now because this ain't never happened to me before. So it's just being honest with your kids. I just, like you said, Alex, I feel like we do kids a disservice when we act like they're not mature enough to understand something in the simplest of terms. Because that's all we got to do. It doesn't have to be complicated. When Bambi's mama and daddy got killed, kids understood Bambi had no parents. Yeah. This is something that we'll continue to unpack as we talk about the rest of the scenes from this episode, but that's dehumanizing. To not acknowledge someone's death, and it was more so specifically, and there was other examples, that's why I said we'll keep going with it, but it was really Bronwyn, the the mom. She Mm -hmm. was not even really trying to get on that. She was not interested in going to the funeral and all of that other shit, and huh, that's trash. That's dehumanizing. Like you don't want to talk about her death. It really says a lot about you. You don't want to tell your son who spent all this time with fuck that. So yeah, that just sealed it for me. Definitely I'm fucking with her. So after that, there was the, I feel like I'm getting the order mixed up because I feel like they were, well, there was another attempt to, to deliver the envelope. Yep. Yeah. So there was that second attempt, which is interesting. But then they're collecting her belongings throughout the house and almost complaining, I guess, that she had so much stuff there. I was just confused about the wigs, but okay. (laughs) I mean, I could see that, but at the end of like, if she was there with the, with the child from the time he woke up to the time that's, you kind of live there. Like you, you are there more than your home. So you're going to have, and, and, and the fact that you don't want someone to be comfortable while they are there with your child more than you are, you know, she can't have basic comfort items. Like, okay, maybe not. Okay. Wig hanging around the bathroom, whatever it was that, you know, but at least that accommodation, like, like, I mean, slight dehumanization in terms of, I don't know if it was a grandparent or someone else, you would want them to be comfortable, have a drawer, have a, this little piece of a closet, a little something to put your, whatever, or just something is not going to detract from your quality of life and how you're able to access your space. But like, I, I definitely see that as being dehumanizing, but also just indicative of like who they are mm-hmm. as raggedy white people. Yeah, that, that was raggedy. Cause then, you know, they had to actually agree to go to the funeral. And of course, you know, Miles had to convince her that they should go. I mean, of course, because as they were explaining about Sylvia's death, they were explaining that people have funerals and he definitely, he did not hesitate to say that he wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I am glad that they went ahead and went. That was interesting. They ultimately went, but in that conversation, they also were discussing, oh, and I didn't like this. This was one of the highlights of the fuckery is the metropolitan, like, let's get a younger, more metropolitan nanny. And then the indication that she was cheap, but not expensive. That was really giving like back on the block, 18s, something or other back in Charleston or something like that. But how did y'all receive that? Them mentioning like that they wanted an Asian nanny, but they were too expensive and there were 
like right. none on the market. It was like, so you chose an old black woman because she was your cheapest option. That's yeah. why, that's why you had an old black woman raising mm-hmm. your son, which mm-hmm. if we're, if we're talking about the labor that we as black people have put in for this raggedy ass country Mm-mm-mm. and us being the cheapest paid also, it's like, even though slavery was abolished, the system of slavery has not gone away. A lot of the ideals, a lot of the things. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was very subtly played out. Like I said, I was struggling to get through it the first time because I was that was my, that was me. But that was definitely what they were alluding to. And that was trash. But the thing that I realized as I spoke briefly with Alex before we got started was this issue that they clearly had with how their child was absorbing a black culture. Depending on the situation, they'll hire a nanny that will be more like white adjacent. I know that they would have responded differently to their child, you know, speaking Russian or something like that, or Czechoslovakia. I don't know. Don't get me started lying, but y'all get what I'm saying. It's like, it just seemed like it was bothersome when they could tell how much he had really absorbed, you know? And I mean, if ultimately, if you're uncomfortable with that, then you raise your fucking child yourself. Thank you. <laughs> or pay more for that white, you know, pay, get that, get your white metropolitan, whatever. Obviously wasn't worth enough to you to, to have that metropolitan somebody. Yeah. You know. Oh, that uh, was a key word. Metropolitan meant white, didn't it? Clearly, clearly. Um, but just the dynamic, you know, of white women, white people not raising their own children and, you know, kind of defaulting to someone else for that. Not even just the the caregiving, but like the nurturing, you know, like didn't even know he had, had little boy had to tell him how to rub your back, his back. Yeah. Very <laughs> gross. You know, this is how, how she does not- it. Yeah. I just, but, ugh, I, go ahead. I think too, like this very much so highlighted that white people love to use our shit and use us, but they don't really give a fuck about who we are as people. So like, even even if you go back to when they were calling, when white people were colonizing everything, they would go into other people's space, other Mm -hmm. people's countries, call these people savages, tell them that they're uncivilized and wouldn't get to know anything about us as people or how actually how civilized we were, right? Because we're the one who use washcloths. These motherfuckers barely use soap. They didn't know. But that's a whole nother story, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then to see her with the Telfar bag, it's like, yeah, y'all love our shit. Y'all love our shit. (laughs) But you don't give a fuck about us at all. Yeah. That's really it. I mean, we saw how her face scrunched up when he asked her to sing the song. (laughs) She was like, I don't know that song. I knew Baby Beluga. Interestingly enough, a white whale. I don't know. Maybe I was just searching for the racism in that moment. But I was like, white, huh? Okay, I guess. But... Clearly, Bash knows the culture. Bash was with it. Like, Bash knew all the songs at the funeral. I was getting my life. After that, you know, with the putting him to sleep and not knowing how to rub his back and not knowing his favorite (laughs) 
uh, lullaby. Then they get to the funeral and Bash is like going back and forth with Sylvia's sister, which that was so endearing to me. (laughs) (laughs) Finishing the phrases. I love that. Did y'all notice who the guy was that was sitting next to them, Curtis? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. That Chet Hanks, mean. the white man. Chet Hanks is, well, that Chet was Hanks. actually com- him? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, wait, we're getting ahead. Yeah, because we're still at the, when they pulled up and the guys were sitting outside of the building and they called, they called the white people something. Cockroach? Like a, yeah. Yes. Was, do you know what that means? Because Bash knew the phrase and then as soon as he said the phrase, then one of the people had called them that, but you know, that's that. So <laughs> that's still the culture though. And yeah, so they park the car, da, 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 and then they walk in and there's a clear emphasis on the Telfar bag, which I caught that on the second viewing. And, and I was going to ask why, but Sunita, you already answered that. She had Telfar bag because, you know, Trinity for Black, the culture, the culture. Mm-hmm. for the culture, you know, as long as it's convenient. See, that's what it is, the convenience of it all. They get into the funeral, they start off very civil, right? And um, this is where I was kind of dozing in the first viewing. And it was interesting to wake up to the melee. It was just like, whoa, okay. But they get into the service and I knew the guy looked familiar, but that was legit Chet Hanks. Yep. That's what made it so funny. Wow. I don't be knowing shit sometimes. And this (laughs) feels true. Now something that's coming up that could be very true is this could be based on a story that Chet told to the writers. Well, it was written by, it was written by a black, written by someone who I believe is Trinidadian. But for me, it felt like. The projecting into the future like that is how someone like Chet becomes that's how that's, that's like I a culture like a culture vulture origin story yes. is what it felt like that's how I received that because mm-hmm. when he said where did he say he was from Tribeca Chelsea he's in Tribeca, Tribeca. yeah mm-hmm. and and they were really trying to figure out like yo so what's with the accent and but he maintained the accent the whole time even in indicating well no this isn't my culture but Mm, that's that's I don't know how to receive that just because like I'm too far removed from it but I can just say that that is that is weird but I appreciate that commentary on that yeah I did not know that was Chet so shout out to everybody else for knowing because you know at least somebody know but too I think they put that in there because of the controversy around him Mm -hmm. having this accent making all these videos mm-hmm. on the social media. Yeah. His, I think his baby mama's black, but his family does not, like they distance themselves from that. Like, what is he doing? This is foolish. We are white. Like the Hanks is like, he's a I'm clown. <laughs> but what do we know about the Hanks as far as whether or not perhaps they did have a nanny like that? Perhaps there was truly in Chet's childhood a dynamic like that but then again this is all fiction so we don't know maybe it was just the commentary on that but definitely Alex you were right on the money when you said that that was projecting into the future of what 
Bash could ultimately be like. But Bash knew the etiquette. You think Sylvia was taken in the church? I mean, how else? Because we- that was black church etiquette. I mean, I, I could see that. I think that the him knowing about the phrase cockroach have no place at a foul party, you know, basically don't go where the fuck you don't belong. And, you know, him knowing, uh, I forget what the phrase better something. When she said something about the belly being full, I forget what the phrase that he finished yeah. in the car, him saying, amen. I mean, yeah, he was just very comfortable. He, he was raising his Very hands. comfortable. Yeah. You know, like if you've been to a black church before, then you know that there's a certain way to, to move in the environment that indicates that, you know, you're, you're a part of it. And um, Bash was definitely right on with it. He knew all the words to all the songs and he, he knew how to move in that setting while his parents were just looking around bewildered. And that kind of goes back to why there was that hesitance for them to show up in the first place, because they knew they knew that they were very likely going to be the only white people there. They knew that they were going to be potentially a spectacle and they would feel out of place. And I get it, but I'm glad that they had to go because mm-hmm. that, that was important to their son. So um, the eulogy, <laughs> that was, it was still civil at the eulogy, but they only perked up when they find out that Sylvia's related to an NFL player. Once again, weird, but very proud though. It was just, what are y'all doing? And what was that picture? Please tell me that y'all understood because a picture was airdropped to Miles. Did y'all not see that? It was, it like, a, was it a butthole? I don't know what it was. I giving butthole that's, energy. That's what I thought it was. I should have paused it and tried to zoom in. For me, when I saw it, I mean, it was like, this will be, to me, first, this is what they think of you. I mean, that's what I got out of it. Asshole. <laughs> was it a pig's ass? What oh, I didn't even, I wouldn't even know about. what a pig's, I don't even know how you would distinguish. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a pig asshole. That was, how you airdrop, okay, I guess I, I could see, because when you're going to airdrop somebody, then you can see the name of their phone. And so they probably mm. just kind of, that's interesting, but it yeah, was air yeah. That's that's worth note distinguishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was clear that like people in there, they know who they were. Obviously, the only white family, so they they knew that this was a significant person, family, child. You know, they mm-hmm. knew. So yeah, I I can imagine, and obviously everybody's not going to have that same. They don't have sweet tender memories of this fucking boy, and they they I'm sure they know what he represents. I'm sure they don't. I'm not sure they knew much about him or his father. Oh, yeah. Because the child was very sweet. The child was, you know, truly the most innocent person in the whole episode. But I was really loving the dance, loving the culture. And um, pretty much the dance kind of led into the melee. But that we got to hear the song. I mean, for those of us who were not already familiar with the song and the namesake of the episode being Trini to the Bone, it's a bop. I'm, I think I'm going to go ahead and pull that up for myself later on. But <laughs> that's when the, what was it? The daughter went and, you know, bum rushed the mic and came with the tea and with the drama and really spoke to what we've been saying already, which is like, y'all, I'm not okay with this. But I can't help but wonder, did she ever specifically indicate that to her mom before she died? Or was it one of those, 
I'm mad at you at the funeral and and because really is that the time and place for that I mean it's a funeral you don't you don't get to control other people's emotions <laughs> like what's gonna come up and like this woman she wasn't just a housekeeper she was reduced to that in her old age but everything that they showed about her she had an accomplished life like she was an Alvin Ailey dancer. Right. And she was a teacher. Like this woman had did some great shit. And then in her old age, as she got oh. older, she became a housekeeper to take care of her family. Mm. So I could see your kids being upset. And I, I say that because how they spoke of my father, it was like he was a totally different person. They talked about him like me, my brother, and my sister did not exist at all oh they barely mentioned us and they mentioned us when they were reading the obituary and that was it everything else they talked about at my dad's funeral was like how great he was to other people this that and the third very similar to sylvia so Mm -hmm. we were pissed me my brother and my sister they did not ask us if we wanted to speak nothing Oh, so it could have been like, you could have acted out in a similar way if you- Oh, no, I wouldn't have done that because that's not my, that's not my steez. I understand, but you- But one of my siblings could have. (laughs) You could, that's why I said it, like I said, you could have. So you can, I appreciate the way that you can relate to that situation in that way. Because, yeah, she definitely needed to get that out. And I mean, better out than in, I'm glad, Mm -hmm. especially in front of them. You know, because they, they needed to, they needed to hear that while they were up there taking her for granted in such a way and seemed seeming to be so annoyed with anything that she even left behind and were really trivializing her in such a way where they were not even willing to go to the funeral outside of their son's insistence, um, getting there and seeing this woman say like, y'all actually really stole a lot of time from me that I could have otherwise had with my mom. So, hmm. I think it was good for them to see that because, well, in general for it to show, it was really representative of like, these people who come, you know, to this country with all these gifts, all these talents, they have families, and it really showed like how much they had flattened her, uh, her contribution to not only their son, but just to the world, to know that she she had this long history, she had danced and she had uh, poured into all these families, all these people, you know, was only interested when he found out that somebody in her family was a football player, you know, but other than that, he, they seem generally just annoyed with having to be there in the first place. So I, I think it was very representative of like, don't care about the per- them as a person, just what they can do for me and my family. Yep. Very much trash, still trash all the way. So <laughs> there's the whole melee. The, Chet, Chet literally is <laughs> calling out world star. And then censoring them while having an issue with them, but censoring them in a way where when they get up to leave, they legit say, you're scaring the white people. I, what'd you say, Alex? No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say that performing for the white gays, it grinds my ears. Because that's, mm-hmm. that happens so often within our culture. Like even people who are just like fight the power, black people, 
they still perform for the white people. Like, don't do that in front of white people. You're making us look bad. And it's it's like, fuck them. They were legit the only white people there. And everyone is supposed to calm the fuck down and be on their best behavior because white people are in the house. Why? As if they're the model of good behavior. I mean, for me, that felt familiar <laughs> also just in terms of like Caribbean people in particular, Black people also, but just that deference and the, I don't know, the colonialism and the, the, the crown and the queen. It felt very <laughs> familiar in that way, but yeah, just the like love and that need for approval. Um, and like you said, like that, don't do this in front of white people. And it, it's sad. It is. You know, but it's familiar. It didn't feel unreasonable or something that I had never seen before. And it's just another example of, you know, even in death, you know, even when you're mourning, you can't even be in the moment and be in your emotions. You have to hold these weak bitches' emotions and what they're going through, how they might feel, how they might perceive you, how they might think about your culture or your expression of grief or whatever it is. When ultimately, I mean, you know, they just let them leave. If they leave, if they go dip because they can't take it, let them leave. Y'all mm-hmm. need to this out. But they killed me. It was funny, but it was also sad. And that is a part of the brilliance of the whole way that they pull it all together. The explanation, this is how we're sad. Did they all say it in unison? It was an explanation. The explaining, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it was Mm-mm. right in alignment with like the, oh, you're scaring the white people and feeling like they needed to explain. That was very frustrating to me. That was extremely frustrating. And you know, they was going to deal however they was going to deal, whether it played out that way or not. Um, you know, what's done is done. But then after that, they're in the car and just looking, <laughs> the mom is looking disturbed and the dad, <laughs> Miles, is singing the TNT song. <laughs> he was into it. I mean, me, myself, personally, I would have stayed for the food because um, the way she explained how it was about to go down, hello, I would have certainly been in the building for that. They but, wouldn't have liked the food. Only Bash would have ate it. That, But they should have stayed to get Bash a plate because, you know, yeah. potentially only until he was old enough to go back and seek out that food would he be able to get it outside of, you know, Sylvia gone, if they go get them a Metropolitan or uh mandarin speaking nanny bash is not gonna get him no spice curry mango no more (laughs) time soon that's not happening and i feel like just in witnessing that whole situation play out that kind of solidified for them in their minds their decision being justified and being like yeah i don't think we want to get another nanny that's bringing in this much that's a little too much culture AKA that's not the culture that we want our son to be exposed to. But I mean, it's a beautiful culture, you know, Trinidad and Tobago at any given moment could become the hot vacation destination. And then what are they going to do? Go down there, just like all the other folks that, that want to go down to, you know, Seychelles or Tulum or wherever all the people will be flocking to. I don't know. That's not my life yet. But like I said earlier, enjoying the culture when it's convenient for them. So that's trash. Um, but were they in the, they were in, yeah, they were in the bed when 
I'm just wondering where it came from when Miles was indicating what the origin of the limbo dance was, is. I didn't take the time to fact check that, but do y'all remember what he said about the origin of the limbo dance? I don't recall what he said. Mm, oh. He said the origin of the limbo dance was to mimic the way that the captured slaves would be trying to get down into the bottom of the ship. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Again, I think Maurice would be a great person to ask about that. But yeah, I, I think that a lot of those dances came from, you know, those cultural practices, even in Panama, like a lot of those traditional dances come from witnessing or either as a form of rebellion or as a form of like, you know, mocking even in some cases, like the interactions with masters, you know, the uh, colonizers. But yeah, I, I, I could see that being accurate. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. And um, also lamenting over the fact that because of, I believe, Uncle Samuel, Bash wants to be a steel pan player, steel pan <laughs> drum player. What's so terrible about that? <laughs> it's not white. Oh, it's not even know what that is, though. But not even taking the time. I mean, it just would have been a great time considering, well, they didn't think about it like this, obviously. I'm thinking about it like this, but they weren't considering that oh, this will be a good time for us to maybe brush up on this culture since clearly it's a very, you know, real thing. And it is something that is definitely, that our son has been um, impacted by, I would say positively, but I can tell that they don't think that it was positive. And gosh, I can't help but wonder like, what happened to this baby who has had this woman in his life for no telling how long, perhaps she had been in his life since he was a baby maybe at least a couple years but he's pretty young he couldn't have been no older than maybe like six or seven he's in kindergarten gonna be deprived of this beautiful culture that he won't have access to because of his parents discomfort and ignorance and short-sightedness and raggediness and so on and so forth um and they're probably swapping another um caregiver slash you know substitute parent um to pick up the slack and stand in the gap um, so they can, I don't know, go to fucking yoga in the morning. <laughs> uh, right. And eat eggs, Benedict with no seasoning. So, uh, just wrapping up there. Speaking of wrapping, there was a wrapping on the door, that final attempt to deliver that damn envelope. And they finally got it. He finally was just like, what the fuck is this? And opens it. And we finally find out what's in the envelope. And, I didn't know what to expect, but was that endearing or like, was it sad? Like, how did you respond to him? That was Sylvia getting the last laugh <laughs> because remember the, uh, whatever that beastly white woman's name was, she acted <laughs> like it was burdensome that, you know, they asked why we weren't there for picture day because you're his fucking parents. Why wouldn't oh, you be? That's, I forgot to, thank you so much. No, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so I feel like it was Sylvia's last laugh because she wasn't, obviously she cared for the boy. And this is like older black women. I love them. I aspire to be like them. Yeah. When it comes to the children, we don't take care of the babies. We don't care what they look like. We don't care what yeah. ethnicity they are take yeah. care of the children and she wasn't gonna have bash there not being able to take family day pictures 
So she was like, I'm gonna take these pictures with this little boy and I'm gonna make his date. We gonna, we gonna be all right, Bash. We gonna be all right. Your parents not here, but we gonna be all right. And that smirk on the last picture. I was like, that's it. That's all I needed for the whole episode. <laughs> always coming through with catching all the little, pit, like, I feel like if I was the sifter, you would be the bowl. You're catching all the shit that goes through <laughs> my dim-wittedness. No, I'm joking, y'all. I'm smart. I totally miss it. But I forgot to mention when we were recapping everything else, how she was so disdainful when she was speaking to Miles on the phone about how she actually said, she asked me about family picture day when I was in front of him. What difference does it make? He know you wasn't there. It's like pretending that he doesn't know. Like you said, he you knew that he knows that he weren't there. And I think that the picture at the end I think for them, I know the father, he may feel, I don't know how he feel about it, but I'm sure that that picture ate my motherfucker. It was <laughs> manifestation of you not being there. And while Sylvia is dressed, looking beautiful and smiling and smirking with your baby while you are in a downward dog somewhere drinking lemongrass shot or whatever the fuck, I think that that would be just a great last final satisfaction for Sylvia like just to know that that final twist of of the knife into this weak woman's back but yeah just a like you said Sunita that she gonna be there the kids gonna be taken care of regardless of how you feel about his parents yeah he's gonna be taken care of and he's still saying good night to Sylvia right when she ain't even there no more like that baby's heart was in spirit (laughs) i mean he just he was so sweet and he played it very well and like as much as we talk shit about white people as a result of seeing all of the terribleness in in the way that they're um really indicating it in in the satire or illusions or whatever you want to call it on this show seeing uh a white child at that age, we know that that is typically when they get turned into that terribleness. And this child, um, they definitely were were intentionally playing up his innocence and seeing how that gets twisted up with seeing how his parents were and seeing what he was exposed to. And I just like, because this, this episode did not feature the main cast. I guess the predictions segment of the show would be like, what do you think is going to happen to Bash? (laughs) You think he's going to date Black women? (laughs) I noticed that Bash, his parents, if you looked at their skin color and you looked at Bash, he was a lot darker than his parents. I mean, he was still white, nevertheless. Hmm. But he looked like he had a tan and I was I was looking at it like is this just the lighting every time they showed him his lighting was like he had tanned skin and I was like this can't be a coincidence because the lighting surrounded by his parents was very stark and bright it was white kind of white lightish yeah like even at the in the very first scene when he was in the kitchen it was mm-hmm. the- then it was like a lot of all of the surroundings were white. Um, 
I mean, but that really does speak to just like the whole team coming through and this being two things, high art for sure. And also a, an extremely important and relevant case study for academic understanding of critical race theory and any other forms of conversations about how racism exists and how it affects people in different classes and the nuance. Um, that was the name of that class. It was something about race, sex, and class or something like that. I was trying to remember the name of the class that I took way long time ago in undergrad. And I think it was something about race, sex, and class. And um, a lot of those themes definitely came up in not just this episode, but of course, in the entirety of season three. I think last episode, White Fashion was peak. It was chock full. It was peak. Like all of those themes were definitely just getting thrown left and right, but done very well. It was just very jarring to watch. It was took a lot of, out of us emotionally. But one thing that I did want to discuss that Sunita brought up and is the ghost theme. Because you you indicated that pretty much in every episode in season three, there was some kind of allusion to like an otherworldly or like just like straight up uh, a ghost. And I mean, obviously here somebody died. Yeah, and then uh, Bash was like, "Good night, Sylvia." Like, I mean, kids do weird shit all the time. Yeah, but the reason why I like this season in particular and it and they do it in season one and two also but it's very obvious I know that you like the main cast episodes but the one-off episodes where the focus is the white people it's like they're showing us with the main cast these subtle and overt racist behaviors that they have to endure but then they're like okay so if you didn't get it here's an example and the focus is on the white people and how white people act and it's like if you didn't catch it in this episode we're gonna make sure you understand what we were trying to get you to see in this previous one and if you I think we're what there are seven episodes now so it's becoming very obvious that they're like if you're not paying attention, we're trying to show you guys, this is how we're treated in the world. And it's considered normal, but it's not, it doesn't feel normal. It's never felt normal to us as black people. Yeah. You just made me think of like, when you're reading a textbook and you see that dialogue, not dialogue, diagram on the side, that's like, you know, really breaking down a concept that's like in asterisks. So that's what these episodes, that's that's really what they're giving. I remember um, in the conversation with Alex over one of the last episodes, he didn't get to join us, but we did still discuss it a bit. Um, you were indicating how you're a bit, of, a bit exasperated with the exploration of the theme. Of- I mean, yeah, it feels explainy. I mean, I get it, art, you know, white, black people writing about white people. I mean, honest, I just, do we have to look at white people again some more? Like here too? Damn, like I get it. It makes sense, um, you know, the things that they're trying to explain, you know, how a culture vulture becomes a culture vulture, how, 
you know, just the insidious ways of, of white folks. I just, I'm tired of talking about white people, honestly. Um, but I, whatever, I understand, you know, the second season of The Wire, people, there's the debate about it and, you know, it gave background and different perspective. It took us, you know, the, the spotlight off of the main focus. You know, now you got all these white people down by the docks and stuff, you know, sure, background, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, I'm into it. I'm glad that black people are getting paid. Like, as if black people don't know that white people are fucking exasperating, you know? So who is it for? Who are you explaining this to? Um, so yeah. I don't think it's for us though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, so again, it's, I'm not putting anything, you know, they got to make, you know, I, I don't know. You're in Europe. You bring up a very important, very relevant question is like, it's really not that we need to unpack it. Like we already know this is literally our lived experience, which is mm-hmm. why I'm glad that I recognize because it goes along with what I'm saying is like, this is what needs to be taught to the people who act like they don't get it. This is this is the best way to uh, give them these examples. And if you see, if you are a white person looking at this, any episode in this season, especially these episodes that are zooming in on it in such a way, if you look at these episodes and you say that you still don't get it, you're being willfully ignorant. And I wash my hands of you, child, because just stay out of my way. All right. That's all I say to the- If there's going to be a, a teaching happening, I mean, I'm sure this is probably the, you know, the lesson is going to look and feel and hit differently when it's white people on the screen and you get to see them in the act and, you know, living a certain way versus- you know, a black person being like, white people be doing this. White people is like, you know, of course it's so sure. Okay, fine. Yeah. I just think it's another clever, clever way of storytelling Mm -hmm. because they get to add humor into it. They actually get to make it entertainment versus like you said, Alex, it being like white people do this and white people do that. It's, it's entertainment mostly for us because we live it right Mm -hmm. yeah for people who are actually looking for the connections like how does all of this make sense what what does trini to the bone have to do with white fashion (laughs) it's like like cola said if you missed it you're just being willfully ignorant at this point because it's right there in our face yeah we're we're done it is a lot more fun when it's paul mooney on the stage making the jokes though (laughs) that's when it's for us (laughs) It's for everybody, but it's a lot more fun <laughs> when we get to take it in in that kind of way. So um, we we have reached the end of this unpacking session, unpackers, and very glad that y'all were able to join us for this. Did y'all have any closing remarks? Just looking forward to episode eight. Hey, getting closer to this finale. We shall yes. see. And I didn't realize, here's my closing remark is um, when we started unpacking Atlanta, I honestly truly did not see other Atlanta podcasts, but Mm -hmm. I have seen at least two, maybe even three by now, just in the last week or two. And I love that. Um, I know that that is that much more of like a flex for this show to be able to say, look at all these conversations that we've inspired and and doing a podcast is, of course, like a more formal way to um, to get into it. And um, what I'm thinking about uh, is reaching out to some of the other hosts of these shows to potentially do more of like a whole 
round table. I think that'd be really fun. So if anybody is listening to us, because I know we all have different takes. And so I'm that much more interested in um, getting to listen to some other episodes of some of the other Atlanta unpacking or recap episodes just to kind of see how we can all connect in community around it because um, everybody's thoughts and, and feelings and opinions are valid. So shout out to all of us out here just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. That's that's another indication <laughs> by having all these shows. Like we just all trying to figure it out. So there's all that. And without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and zip it on up. I'm trying to make these unpacking puns. Y'all, y'all feel me? No? <laughs> we're going to zip it on up. We're going to unpack it, pow, pow. And we hope that y'all have a great week. Enjoy the next episode. We'll see y'all in about a week. Hear from y'all. Y'all will hear from us. And um, unpackers, enjoy yourselves. Peace out. Holla. Bye. Ew.